Jonathan and how we should be Jonathans for one another, coming along, encouraging one another, especially those who are in ministry, when we see them succeeding, uh, not to be jealous, but to be um, somebody who'd be willing to give them our coat, our sword, our belt, our armor, our shield, everything, so they can be even more successful. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, next week, by the way, we're going to do the second half of chapter 18 and the second half of chapter 19 of 1 Samuel to talk about Michael. Uh, David's wife and we're going to talk about that but I wanted to stick for another week on Jonathan that's why we skipped a little bit and this week you can see the name of the sermon is I got you Holmes now some of you over 50 may not know what that means but that's okay uh, we're going to talk about advocacy today and I think it's very important for us to recognize as Christians that advocacy is crucial to our survival Advocacy is crucial to our survival this way and this way. And without advocacy, Christianity sucks. It's empty. It's frail. It's meaningless. And it's pointless. It's just religion with some memorized words and people who some of us dress nice on Sunday. Not many in the garden, but some <laughs> over there. 1 Samuel chapter 19, 1 through 8. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out. I will stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I'll tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. He's talking about Goliath. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it. And you rejoiced at the time. Remember, Dad? <clears throat> Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without a reason? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David back to Saul, and he was in his presence just as before. And then there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, and they fled before him once again. So you see the story here. This is a situation where Jonathan, who loves David, is committed to David's success. Jonathan is already in a very symbolic way, recognized that David is the Lord's anointed by giving him his robe, giving him his belt, giving him his sword, and giving him all these things. And then Jonathan is concerned because the king's wrath is turned against David, and Jonathan says, David, don't worry, I got you, Holmes. I got your back. You go over here, while you're hiding, I'll take care of it. I'll put in a good word for you. I'll explain to the king who you are. I'll explain to him why he's messed up for wanting to kill you. I got you. I got you. Now, 
Notice, this is actually the first time that we've seen in Scripture where Saul verbally says he wants to kill David. And Jonathan decides to stand between David and Saul because he knows how important David is and he's committed to David's success. Now there are only... You understand, when this comes to this role that Jonathan filled, only Jonathan could have done it. And there are a few reasons why Jonathan was the only one. First of all, he was the son of the king. I mean, if Saul wants to kill David and the cook comes up, listen, uh, Saul, don't be killing David. The cook's probably not going to have very much influence. Right? I mean, if the the palace postman came up and said, listen, I'm not going to give you your mail. That's probably not going to really... Fine, you're dead. Give me a new postman. You know, if, if the mayor of Jerusalem came up and said, Listen, don't kill David. I'm not going to take care of your parking tickets anymore. Probably not going to make much of a difference. See, the reason that Jonathan was able to be an advocate for David was because, first of all, he was a son of the king. Secondly... He genuinely loved and concerned David. Look, even if he's the son of the king, if he doesn't care about David, he couldn't be an advocate. Kill him, I don't care. But that's not the way David felt. David had a love for John, uh, John, Jonathan had a love for David, and Jonathan's love for David stirred him to action to go between him and his father, the king. Another reason why Jonathan can be an advocate. I think we got a broken situation here. There we go. He had a good reputation. Now see, even if he were the son's king, and even if you love David, if Jonathan were a scoundrel, his father's not going to listen to him. If Jonathan had been stealing from his dad, if Jonathan himself had been plotted to kill his dad so he could be king, or if Jonathan had a terrible reputation in the community and all these things, He would not be able to be a good advocate for David. Do you remember last week I read to you a passage from 1 Samuel 16 that describes the type of man that Jonathan was? Like he was a warrior, he was successful, he was the man. He was a pretty popular prince. He had a good reputation as a good honest guy. And his dad knew that. So because he was the king's son, because he loved David, and because he was a good person with good character... He could be an advocate. So I think you guys have to advance this for me. So, And there's another reason why he could be an advocate for David. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> he was part of God's sovereign plan. You see... It wasn't just by some random chance that the king's son fell in love with the next king. It wasn't just by some random chance that Jonathan was a man of character, the son of the king, who had compassion for David and was in a position to be an advocate. It wasn't, whoo, David, that was close. No, it was part of God's plan. Because remember I told you at the very beginning of this Life of David series, what is it really about? It's all about this. Satan hates David because Satan knows that the line of Christ runs through David. And Satan knows if he can snuff out David, if he can disqualify David, he knows at that point Christ 
cannot be born. And so there's a big battle going on. And so it wasn't like God left this to chance. God is sovereign. God is in control. And Jonathan was divinely appointed to be David's advocate at this time. So those are the reasons why he has the ability to do this. Now, how is Jonathan like Jesus? I have some verses I'm going to read to you. The first one is 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. This is really good. And if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can use it. Or if you brought your Bible, that's fine. I'm not going to put it up there because there's a lot of scripture I'm going to share today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, I'm not writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the, pay the payment for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. So he says, look, I'm hoping you don't sin. But if you do, here's the good news. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, his Son. You have an advocate with the King, Jesus, his Son. He himself is the payment for our sin. And not only for yours, but for the whole world. So Jonathan is like Jesus in the fact that he's an advocate to the king, to the father, on our behalf. Remember I shared with you last week, I know that types always break down at some point. But you can start to see some of the similarities. Another verse I'm going to read for you. In John chapter 14, 15 to 21, this is really good. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Did you hear this? If you love me, keep my commandments. I will talk to Dad, and He'll give you another Helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Hear what Jesus says? Keep my commandments. Don't worry. I'm going to talk to Dad. I'm going to make sure he sends you a helper, the Holy Spirit. The world can't get this help. But because you know me, and I know him, the Spirit will be in you. I got you. I got your back. And then he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. We've talked a lot about orphans in here, in the garden from time to time. I will not leave you like orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Summary, I got you. I got you, Holmes. Isn't that so cool to see the similarities between how Jonathan acts on David's behalf and how Jesus acts on our behalf?
Here's another one. This might be my favorite one. For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And this priest can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is just besieged with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when God calls him, just like Aaron was. Wow. And so now we begin a little bit of a transition here. I'm going to read another one from Hebrews. Chapter 9, verse 24. This is a, I said that one was my favorite. I was wrong. This is my favorite. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are just merely copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, on our behalf. You see, we were disconnected from the Father. We deserved wrath from the King until Jesus came in between and became righteousness for us. We were in a situation where the King, some of you may not like this, but it's biblical, the King hated what we were. Matter of fact, the scripture says many places in the Old Testament, God hates sin. God does not tolerate it. He hates it. In fact, He hated it so much, the only way He could have interaction with us is if He hated His Son on the cross. And Christ became an advocate for us between a heavenly king who was angry and sinners who were wayward and unrighteous. Now how are we like Jonathan? As God sovereignly appointed Jonathan to be David's advocate to Saul, God has appointed us to be advocates for those around us. Because think about it, we have all the same tools as Jonathan. We're children of the king. We can have compassion for the hurting. Remember, he loved David. We have been transformed into many redeemers. We've talked about that here before. Jonathan had a good reputation. When God saves you, he transforms you into a mini redeemer. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Old nature, new nature. We become new creatures in Christ. And somebody who struggled with weakness and deficiency and sin and addictions and things like that, can be transformed into an advocate for those around them by God's sovereign hand. There are so many verses in the New Testament. There's probably 30 that I found. I picked out some that I think you'll like. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. You also must help us bribe prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Here's Paul saying, pray for us on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.20 
He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see Paul there set himself up as the middleman. We are ambassadors for Christ, for God, who is making his appeal to you through us. Be reconciled. And then another one in Colossians. It's kind of frozen again. There we go. Colossians 1, 5 through 8. Because of the hope he laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. It also does so among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Here's an example of an advocate, Epaphras, who comes, he takes the gospel, and Paul says that gospel you heard, it not only is it doing some stuff in your life, it's increasing all around the world. You've heard it, you've been transformed, you've been changed, you've been connected to the Father who were once disconnected, you understand the grace of truth, just as Epaphras told you about it, you received it, and by the way, he's come back to us and told us, what's going on in your life. Epaphras is an advocate for you. Colossians 4.12 Again, the same guy. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You see, guys, our position as God's chosen children is special. Our position as God's chosen children as a congregation is powerful. From young in the back in the balcony of the top row to down here, all of you. If God has chosen you, if you're a child of God, your position is powerful, your position is special, and it's important. And we cannot be derelict in our responsibilities as a congregation, not only to one another, but to those who are outside our walls. Because if not, we become like Saul and not Jonathan. We become like Saul and not Jesus. You see, God has not called you, whether you're in the balcony or down here, God has not called you to be a judge of anyone. He's called you to be an advocate. God is judge. We are advocates. Can you imagine? I talked a little bit last week about what our congregation would look like if we had a congregation full of people who were like Jonathan, who were willing to take off their robe and their belt and their shield and their sword and give it to somebody who's helping other people. Say, I want you to be successful. And I talked to a few people this week, and I shared with them, I want you to know, you have been a Jonathan to me in the last couple months. And I shared it with them. Because I recognize there's some stuff that we've been, do, been able to do in ministry that I could not have done had I not had some Jonathans come alongside and hold me up. But it doesn't stop there. Yes, that's great if we have a congregation full of people like that. But what's even better is if we in the garden have a congregation full of people that recognize, yo, 
I'm an advocate. Jesus was my advocate. I was disconnected. I want to be like Jonathan. I want to be like Christ. I'm going to be an advocate for those around me who are wayward, who are hurting, because what Hebrews says is this, remember? You can do it with gentleness because you yourself are besieged by weakness. It's a concept that I've been teaching for probably 20 years. It's called sympathizing with authority. You're the king's children, people. Do you understand what that means? You are the king's children. And God has transformed your heart. He's given you the ability to have compassion and love. And not only that, He has sovereignly placed you where you are right now, today, in this building, as part of this congregation. Not so you can get Pop-Tarts when you come in, or have coffee, or hang out with friends afterwards. You know why? He's brought you here because you are to be an advocate. If God's grace has saved and transformed you, then you have been called to be an advocate for those whom God is calling, whom God has called, and whom God has placed among you. Megan's going to come up here in just a minute. And what we're going to do to kind of close out this service today is we're going to advocate for you for a little bit. We're going to have a time where we pray for different things for you. And I'm not doing this just so you feel warm and fuzzy because somebody prayed for you. I'm doing this because I want you to start doing it for one another. Not just in prayer, but in word and in deed. Because I'll tell you, we're at a crossroads as a congregation. We can keep coming here on Sunday and having fun, listening to good music, maybe get some preaching that we like or don't like. Or we can really start transforming ourselves into Jonathan's. And so what we're going to do today, I'm just going to name a couple subjects. Megan and I will take turns praying for you. And some of you, the subjects will hit home. Some of you, the subjects may not be applicable to you right now. We're just going to pray. And the first one that I'm going to pray for and advocate for you are those of you that are struggling at home with problems with your family. Relationships may be broken, maybe need to be mended. Maybe the relationships are strong, but they're struggle financially or with sickness. So Heavenly Dad, I love our congregation. I love our people. Man, I'm so glad they're part of my life. And I just want to come to you, Dad, on their behalf. And Lord, some of them are hurting this morning. Some of them are struggling. God, I pray that you would... Uh... Oh, man, God, just give them some comfort. As this prayer goes out, I pray that your spirit comes into their life. And it echoes through their mind. I got you, Holmes. Amen. And I'm going to ask Megan to pray for some of you. Maybe you're struggling at work. Maybe you're looking for work. And I'm just going to ask Megan if you would pray for our congregation in that area because that could be a difficult time. Father, help uh, those of us who don't know. 
maybe where our next step is. Or maybe uh, we just are in a place that isn't where we feel like we were calling us to be. Or maybe where we feel like we're supposed to be, but yet you have placed us there. And Lord, help us to remember this verse that gives so many of us comfort. That verse that says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to not harm you and to give you a hope and a future. Lord, help us um, to actively seek your direction and your purpose and to know that maybe we don't have a door open now. Maybe we don't even look like we have a window open right now. Um, but Lord, we know that you are good and we know that you are faithful and we know that you know where we're going to be, where you want us to be. Um, and Father, just help us to be strong and be confident and to uh, be bold in faith knowing that you know the plans that you have for us we thank you for loving us and for taking care of us and for not um, just leaving us to waste some of you are probably struggling physically you've got some ailments you're sick I know there's many that I've shared or you've shared with me an email that you've had surgery recently and some of you got ailments that are hurting you and you're frustrated because you want to do more for ministry in the kingdom but your body's limiting you. So dad, I just come as an advocate for those who are hurting in that area. God, heal them. Give them strength. But we know that Paul gave an example of a guy who had an infirmity that really frustrated him. But God, even as we pray that and as they're struggling and hurting with it, I pray that you would fill them with the Spirit and they would get this unbelievable sense of, I got you. I got you. We're going to do a couple of more. I'm going to ask Megan to pray for those who are looking for a new spiritual purpose when it comes to what am I supposed to do with my ministry. You have a heart for it, right? I mean, you really want to. You don't know where to begin. And you're struggling. What's my purpose? So Megan's got you on that one. Thank you um, that you have called each one of us according to your purpose and that you have gifted us in ways that maybe we can see and maybe ways that we don't know. And thank you, Lord, for working and stirring in our hearts through this process of discipleship, the process of becoming more like you, that you give us a heart for others and that you give us a heart to serve and to use the gifts that you have given us. So, Lord, work through us. Give us the courage. Maybe there's some of us here today that want to serve and we don't know how. Or we're so afraid maybe we've been hurt in the past and people haven't liked our ideas but help us to have a new confidence today to step boldly before you to use our talents and our gifts for your ministry whether it's close to home or whether it's all over the world father help us to be bold in our steps and bold in our faith to work for you to be your hands and feet to the places with that you have placed on our hearts Thank you for the gifts that you have given us, Lord. This will be the last one. Some of you are just laden with guilt. You're not happy with who you are, where you are. You don't measure up. How could I ever be a Jonathan? I feel more and more like Saul every day. I got you. Heavenly Dad, 
There are some here that the enemy is using that weapon of guilt to destroy their life, to steal their joy, to steal their ability to put their arm around someone else and say, hey, I got you. It's rendering them helpless and hopeless and brokenhearted and discouraged and depressed. Heavenly God, send the Comforter, send the Spirit of God into them right now, even as we speak, and let it echo through their mind, I got you. And help them recognize that if you have saved them, yes, we have sin in our life, but the guilt has been removed and they've become many redeemers. And they now, even in the midst of their decrepitness, in the midst of their weakness, they can be an advocate for others. Just like the high priest were. So as we close today, Dad, I just pray that you would help our people to recognize that advocates aren't perfect. Advocates aren't special in their own right, but they're called, they're redeemed, and they're chosen. Give them compassion for those that are hurting. Give them love for those in their own congregation. And may we be a congregation of people that seeks just to be advocates for one another all the time so that we may grow and ever increase. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.